All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to do two verses, verse 33 and 34, as Jesus will now begin to speak personally to his disciples about what is to take place in the future, uh, what his will is for them, and how he expects us as his disciples to live. Verse 33, follow along with me. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the great verses uh, in the Bible, and Jesus now reminds them, just as he's lived his life, just as in everything that he has done, he has shown his love to them. And as he has demonstrated through the washing of the feet, Jesus now tells them uh, that he's about to depart, that they will not see him any longer, that where he's going, they cannot come. But now he is demonstrating to them that they must love one another. And a great verse on this love is in 1 John, the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. How's that? You want it any clearer than that? If you find that you cannot love, you cannot extend love. You cannot extend mercy as part of your love. Then you don't really know God. You have not really understood the gift of salvation that God has given you. You cannot be saved, fully saved, and receiving the Holy Spirit as the gift of God if you do not demonstrate love. And that's so clear. And so the second reason that this verse is is important is that it now transfers love, the responsibility of love, to the disciples. Jesus is saying, I'm moving on. I'm going to be with your Heavenly Father. But now, I am giving you the command to love one another. And so now, while it's clear that the disciples certainly loved Jesus, the 11 of them, that's for sure, did, they did not, it seems clear to me, that they did not actually love each other with the same intensity. Isn't that interesting? On the contrary, they actually were jealous of each other. Uh, And I find this incredible, but those of us who have spent our life in church should not find this incredible. (laughs) Right? You should not find this incredible. As I I told you, just because you park in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. And so even though you may have spent your life in church, going to church, being, being involved in all kinds of biblical activities... It does not mean that you truly understand what love is about. And so you see here that Jesus is looking at the disciples and seeing that they truly do not love one another. And I want to focus on that. Turn to Luke 22. Verse 24. And this is right after the Lord's Supper. Okay, right after the Lord's Supper. Luke 22, verse 24. So here, you, just imagine this. They have, the, they have the Last Supper, and now a dispute breaks out. 
You gotta love it, don't you? Verse 24. Also a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now let's just stop at that. Guys, you've just spent three years walking around with God. You have seen countless miracles. You've heard the Sermon on the Mount. You've seen everything. You saw Jesus, God himself, wash your feet. And now you're having an argument over who is the greatest? I'm going to tell you something. What this shows you is that even at the cross, you see Satan doing his work. Let me tell you something. Don't think, do not think that just because God is moving and, and there's a, a work going and people are in the presence of, of, of a great spiritual work that Satan doesn't somehow insinuate himself, insinuate himself into it. And you see it here. They're arguing over who is the greatest. Who is going to have the prime position in heaven? They didn't get it. They didn't get it. It's, it's staggering to me when I see this. Uh, Jesus said to them, the, king, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Underline that. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is going to give you everything that you deserve. But you do it in the role of a servant. So remember this. That if you want to serve God, and in your mind, you think, well, I ought to be up here. And instead, God, in his wisdom, gives you a role that's beneath that. That you accept the role that's beneath that because you want to honor God. Our role is to serve. Okay? Our role is to serve. Not aspire to the top. Not, not aspire to position of honor. And so you see that. That's why Jesus is telling them, you must love one another. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't aspire to be on top of somebody else. Love aspires to lift up, to affirm, uh, and to help. And so you see this, that even there, after three years, they still didn't get it. Now, it's so interesting to me as I've studied this and prayed about it, that understanding this command that Jesus gives them, uh, love one another. Uh, if you were a Jew, that was not a, an unusual command. You had heard that command before. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 18. These are a series of laws that God gave through Moses. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. 
I don't know how many of us recognize that that was a biblical prescription. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and so this, this, is, this is the verse that Jesus referred to uh, when he was asked his opinion concerning what was the greatest, uh, the first and greatest uh, commandment. What was that? And, and, and Jesus uh, said the first commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might. And the second was this. In fact, you can see that if you turn to Matthew chapter 22. You can turn there. I'm going to tie this all together. Matthew 22, verse 35. 22. Go start with 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. What a surprise. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so it's uh, amazing. Jesus takes the old law, brings the old law back into the new covenant. He gives this, he ties it all together gives an example of the two greatest commandments who govern everything, tells the Pharisees that's what it is. Now he repeats to his disciples, you must love one another. And yet, even though this commandment is old, Jesus calls it a new command. And so the question is, well, how can it be a new command if it had been issued 1,500 years earlier? Well, there's a very good reason why it can be a new command. It's a new command because the object of the command has changed. When the original command was issued, it related to the Jews loving their own people. You're a Jew. You need to extend love to your Jewish neighbors, your tribesmen, your kinsmen. That's what this was about. And you see that when you go back and you look at that earlier verse and it refers there to your people. But now, Jesus is bringing the bar down. This is not about extending love to just the Jewish people. It is not just about extending love to the people who are part of our Christian community. It is about extending love in every possible way to the world. And this is why we go to the prisons. We go to the prisons to extend the gift of God and love to these people. Not because they're, they're uh, winsome, lovable people. We do it because we are compelled to do it. Because of what Jesus has directed us to do. This is the act of love. And this is so important, especially so during these contentious times. It's so difficult to have people repudiate your ideas. It's so difficult when you turn on television and you see people going out in a way and acting in a way that you don't act. And the very danger for you is that hate will dwell up within you. And I understand that. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> Anger will dwell up within you. And you will say things and think things that are not within the realm of Jesus Christ. All right? 
Only Jesus could say on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do as they put the nails into his feet and his hands. And so that's the example here is what Jesus is telling you. Yes, now your neighbor is the world. Your neighbor is all of the Gentiles throughout the world. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor's not your fellow Jew. Your neighbor is the entire world. And it's an incredible change in how we understand what God's will is. Uh, and that is why when Jesus came, he came first to the Jews. It's very clear. Jesus came first to the Jews to deliver the message of hope and salvation to the Jews. And the plan was that the Jews would rise up and be the evangelical missionaries that God expected them to do. They failed. They failed. And now, now we sit in that role, uh, that spiritual role that God had planned for the Jewish people. And so it's amazing. See, and now you see the spiritual nature of the commandment to include all races, all people, all groups, all tribes, everyone. And people will know who we are because they will see us loving the unlovable. They will see us loving the unlovable. They will see you doing things that do not compute in this world. Why would somebody get up? Why would somebody get up and just walk into a prison week after week after week? Why would they do it? They do it because Jesus sent them. They do it because the love of God is in their heart. And so what I would say to you is this, that if you do not have that compulsion, if you do not feel that love, if when you see, you see hurt and pain in this world and God is not, you don't feel the hand of God saying to you, do something, act something. I need to show the world what separates us. Then you need to ask God for a new infilling of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, you do. You do. Yes. That includes Hillary Clinton. Well, it includes all people. Yes, absolutely. I mean, honestly, this is a time when we, we as a people of God, we as a people of God need to show that we are different. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But Jesus never said, you know, it wasn't going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But you're going to ask God to help you. You're going to ask God to help you and to give you that peace that allows you to do this. And so this is important, especially during these very difficult, contentious times. Uh, and so he, now, now love is going to be defined in an entirely different way. Nobody knew love defined by this. The Jews didn't know love was defined by this. To a Jew, you avoided, my gosh, you avoided the Samaritans. And they were half Jews, for crying out loud. Now, Jesus is saying, you go into the world. You go to the ungodly. You go to the lost. And love is defined in an entirely different way. That's why this verse is one of the two greatest verses in the Bible. It sits right up there with John 3.16. Right there. Because it defines the way Jesus expects you to live. And I think there could not be a better week to study this verse than this week. Okay? This week. When then many of us are sitting there and going, good. <laughs> not you. Not you. Not you, people. I know it's not you, people. But no, now you've got to say, God, touch them. Lord, help them. 
Lord, give them peace. And you've got to be doing the same thing about the president. You've got to ask that the love of God comes into his heart the same way. Honestly, you've got to ask for, for supernatural wisdom. This I mean, to govern this country? Are you kidding me? Could you pick a harder job? <laughs> really? I think that this is the hardest job of, of all time right now. And so you understand this. And so love is defined in an entirely different way. So Jesus did it. He's washing their feet. He's showing the disciples, you lower yourself. You don't look to be raised up. You put yourself lower and you serve. That's our role. We serve. We serve in every possible way. We serve. We don't look to be at the table. We look to serve at the table. And so I want you to see one of the incredible verses, a uh, series of verses that defines how love is to be measured now for us. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <coughs> These are a series of verses that whenever I do a wedding, I, I focus on these verses in a wedding. But really, these are verses that now apply uh, to the world in general. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love. What is love for us? How do we define love for us? What does Jesus expect us to do as we love? And here it is. Love, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps... No record of wrongs. Underline that. A lot of us have to throw those journals out. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love will never fail. What an incredible series of verses this is. As, as God is defining love through Paul's words. Uh, and so you see it. Love is patient. That's how love is defined. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. How do you like that? It does not envy. Can you say that you're happy for, for people that you know uh, when, they, when, when you see blessings? Or do you say, oh, that guy, that guy's a loser. You understand? Love is not envious. You have to ask God to fill you with that kind of love. Love is not envious. It does not boast. It is not proud. How many of us can say that we don't have that pride? Oh, yes, God is using me in a great way. The kingdom of God. Oh, yes. Where would it be without me? Now, we don't say those kind of things, but we thank them. You know that. You know that in your little quiet aspect of your life. Those are the kind of things that go on. You have to ask God to take that out of your, out of your mind. Remove that as you come to terms with what love is, is supposed to be. And this is the love that Jesus is determining 
an ordering and commanding that we use as disciples. This is what separates us from the world. This is why when the world looks at a real Christian, a world, the world is dumbfounded. This, this, these activities? Are you kidding me? Who looks at human beings and sees human beings act like this? You don't see this. Does not keep a record of wrongs. How about that? How about that? How many of us could say, oh, yes, yes, well, yes. I have forgiven, but I have not forgotten. <laughs> You've heard it. Yes, I've forgiven. Jesus has determined that I should forgive you, but uh, uh, I have not forgotten what you've done to me. You understand that that's not love? That is not love. That is not how God wants us to act. And this is all being put together for the disciples. It's all being changed. This didn't exist in the world. This did not exist under the law of Moses. These commands were not there as the people of, of God were going into the, the promised land. They were to love Jews. They were to love each other as Jews. And Jesus blows it apart. Blows it apart. I'm not interested in just Jews. I'm interested in the whole world. I'm interested in loving the world. I'm interested in loving the ungodly and showing that we're different than they are. Uh, and even when you are repudiated, even when you're called deplorable, <laughs> you understand? That you forgive. That you forgive. That you ask God to come upon them. And that you ask God to show them who you are. And when we're going to show the world who we are. Because we're going to act not boastfully. We're not going to act that way. We're not going to have a book of revenge. People that need to be punished. We're not going to act that way. The old person would act like that. The old person would act like that. But as you walk and somebody will say to me, come on, John, do you really do, you do this? Look, look I've got to be honest with you. Ten years ago, nobody could remember uh, acts of revenge better than I could. You crossed me. You did something against me. Yes, I would. I would. I forgive you, but I'd find a way to get even. <laughs> you understand? I'd find a way to get even. All right. I remembered how you know. I knew the lawyers that were despicable and how they would act, and I would make sure that when I got my trip, my chance to enact a pound of flesh, I'd enact a pound of flesh. <laughs> but as I walk closer with God. As I walk closer with the Lord, and I know that God has given me a position in his kingdom to be a spokesman, I recognize I've got a responsibility. How can I teach you and show you what God wants if I have this going on in my life? And you, each and every one of you, are teaching other people. You are teachers. Maybe you're not teaching from a pulpit, but you're teaching in your life, in your families to your neighborhoods. People are looking at you. They're watching you. They're seeing how you live. They're seeing how you speak. That's why we want. We need to extend love. Uh, and now here's the thing. Here is the thing. This is not the mere study of ethics. Let me repeat that. Because I spent a great deal of time studying ethics. In fact, at one point in my life, I was the president of, a, of an elite private school that developed a curriculum a curriculum in which they had uh, ethics and character education inculcated from kindergarten right through the 12th grade. Right through the 12th grade. In fact, 
That school got a Blue Ribbon Award for Excellence uh, from the White House, and I went to the White House. That's a whole other story. I'll tell you that. It was during the Clinton administration. I won't, won't tell you that right now, but when we get a chance, that will be another amusing story for you to hear. But, but here's the thing. As I said to the headmaster, here's the difference. We study ethics. We understand that as we study ethics, what, what the correct way to act is, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will fail. Amen. Let me repeat that. The difference between studying the philosophy of ethics and acting as a Christian in love is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without the power and grace of Jesus Christ, you are doomed to fail. I don't care how much you study ethics. Because how can you, as you study ethics, how can you act when somebody does something hateful to you, hateful to you, that you can just brush it off? Brush it off. You can't brush it off. You are incapable of brushing it off. The very flesh that you carry around from the, from the Adamic period compels you, compels you to reach out in a revengeful way. It's only when the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is imbued into your life. That that enervating power of Christ comes in you. That you then can pray for your enemies. Really. Honestly. And so, I mean, that's an important thing to understand here. It's so critical to me as I, as I study this passage. As Jesus is teaching his disciples. Look, the world's now different. I'm going. I'm not going to be here. I'm giving you the kingdom. You have the kingdom. This is your job. You have to stay what you have to give my message to the world. And here's how that message is going to be given with love in a way that the world has never seen through the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, you wait, you don't just go out. Now. You wait, you wait for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you because we need that. We have to have that Holy Spirit in our lives in order to be able to go out and and, and do this in so many ways. And so. As Jesus expounded on this commandment, he's called home, he goes to the Father. And now I want you to understand that 50 years, 50 years will go by. 50 years will go by. Uh, and the Apostle John will see, will absolutely see what's taking place. How the kingdom of God is advancing. And we'll see that the command of Jesus, the prescription of Jesus is not being followed as it relates to love. And so he's going to write some passages to the church. And this is about 50 years later. The first of those is in 1 John chapter 2. So just think of this as being written 50 years later. 1 John, towards the end of the Bible, right before Revelation, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Fifty years later, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Once you have had since the beginning, this old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Underline. 
Underline. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. How's that? Right? If you don't have love for your brother, and I'm going to tell you your brother is the world. Your brother is the lost. It's not just your physical brother. This has nothing to do with physical relationships. It's not just with the church people. I mean, do you really think that God just limited his, his commandments to, to the people in the church? I mean, come on. What's the point of church? Really, what is the point of church? The point of church is to bring the lost in. It's not so that we can have a lot of BLG parties. Honestly, a point of church is to bring the lost in. And so he's saying to you that if you find yourself not having this love, that instead you find yourself hating. And this is between you and God. It's not between you and me. It's not between you and a priest. It's between you and God. You have to ask God to forgive you because what that means is it's proof of the fact that you do not really have the Spirit of God within you. Now, look, that doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that you are not walking in the direction that God wants you to walk. That you need to ask God to illumine you, to touch your heart, to take this away from you, to wash your feet. Why do you think Jesus said your feet need to be washed? Here's the evidence of the feet be needing to be washed. The fact that even though you may be saved, that still there is some lack of love, some hatred that comes up in your life. Uh, and, and you see this and you understand it. And, and you see that here it is 50 years later, 50 years later, that the Apostle John seeing this, knowing what Jesus said, being there from the beginning, looking at a church and recognizing in the first century church. How's that, folks? Oh, we got to get back to the New, the New Testament church, right? There it is. The New Testament church. You need to love. Let's close in prayer and continue this next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that we've heard. Lord, help these to grow in our heart, Lord, and illumine us. Tell us, Lord, when we have these deficits in our life, help us to clear it out. Help us to clear out the garbage in our lives, Father. Help us to embrace you more. Fill us with an ever greater presence of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to extend your will to a lost world, especially so in this past week, Lord. We thank you for everything that you've done. Bless our people and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. Bless the service to follow. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.